0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. <laughs> great. So, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. Do you feel blessed today? Good, we're going to talk about being blessed. Do you ever wonder why you do what you do? We're going to start off with a confession time. We're not a kind of confession sort of a church where you go along on a Friday and have to talk to a priest or whatever. This is more of of a, a huge public confession than a private one, if that's okay. So I'm going to say a few things. And if this is ever kind of you, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up, that's all. So I'm going to talk about a few things. And if that's like, oh yeah, I can do that. I'm a bit like that sometimes. So number one, buying stuff I don't really need. All right oh wow straight away that was good. I'll give you my example is t-shirts are the killer for me. I always think you can't have enough t-shirts. You can't have too many t-shirts. But then I I've just bought a t-shirt and I love the t-shirt and I open the drawer where the t-shirts are and I've got no more room for t-shirts. So I have to open up a wardrobe and find somewhere else to be able to put t-shirts, yeah? So for me it's t-shirts could be something else for you. That's me. That's you know I'm like and when I get it I'm like what is there inside of me that wants me to buy stuff that I don't really need anymore of? And I've given t-shirts away. We've got the Ivy Refugees thing that we're connected to. I've given loads load of t-shirts away, but I seem to always have plenty. Or in relationships, am I the only one who, after, after a conversation, you're walking away from a conversation with somebody or whatever, and you've maybe been talking about somebody else, and then you realize, when you check yourself, actually, maybe I talked about another person, maybe somebody wasn't actually even here. And in some way, I've, to elevate myself, knocked that person down, or knocked somebody else down. Anybody ever done that? Not as many of us. OK. Look at those people like me and mark them. They're talking about you. (laughs) Yeah. So, what is it in me that wants to elevate myself by lifting myself up by bringing other people down? Or maybe this will get a few more people. Have you ever found yourself? How can I describe it? Unnecessarily animated in a conversation. It's like I could be having a having a John is shaking. He said, "No, obviously not, not John." But you kind of. You feel like the other person isn't really hearing you. And so you increase the volume. Oh, John's putting his hand up now. Or oh, oh, the tone in some way. Maybe it's not even the volume. Some people are putting their hand up. And you find that your energy level rises and you start, you know, your 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 um your pulse is going a little bit more, or whatever, your blood pressure even. And then you walk away from that thinking, what was that about? Why was that? Actually, so why did it become for me such a life and death big issue when it really, actually, in the great scheme of things, wasn't? Hands up for that one. Okay. See, I mean, there's all kinds of behavioural things inside of me that I, I wish I could change. And we're on this summer of change. And I don't want to be simplistic about this, but I've actually come to a conclusion. And I believe the Bible would, would go along with this, that we do what we do because we think like we think. We do what we do because we think like we think. So if we're going to change our behaviour, the thing to attack, if you like, is not the behaviour, but the thinking, the belief system behind it. And today is really going to help us as we start to go deeper into this book of the Bible, which I've got to say is one of my favourite books of the Bible. Is it okay to have favourite books of the Bible? Well, mine, I think, is going to be Ephesians. I love Ephesians. And in fact, the more I'm reading it as we've been preparing for these talks, the more I'm loving it. In fact, I've loved it so much. That I've spent hours and hours and hours this week just digging into it, finding stuff out. And it's like it's so rich. I keep finding more and going, oh, look at that. And this is amazing. So much more. I'm actually going to speak about it Again. This evening at Ivy Didsbury, and I'm only scratching the surface, and I'm only just sort of getting into the first chapter, to be honest with you. Last Sunday evening, I did an introduction to Ephesians, which is going to be it's available, I think, or is going to be available on the podcast to kind of to widen it out for us. And I I'd intended to only do like a 10-minute introduction of some ideas and themes. I don't know how long it went on for, to be honest with you. But it was long because it's deep. There's so much in Ephesians, you're never going to get to the bottom of it. And really, it's linked to in some way, like Hannah's sketch before, it's all about identity. That was the title of that uh, sketch that she did before. Who loved that? It's great, wasn't it? Identity. How we see ourselves. And that is so, so linked to how we see God and how we believe God sees me. If I could change how I see God and I could change how I believe he sees me, then change is going to come. All the behavioural changes that I might want to happen, so many more of them would happen, could happen, if I, if I examined what I think about God and how I see God and actually how I think he sees me. Diagnostic question. What do you think of when you, think, when you hear the word God, the name God? What attitudes are linked to that word so often how we're parented makes a huge difference to that I've found over the years people I've counseled and, and various different rooms I've met with people and they have found out actually they've got a, a particular view of God and then you ask them a little bit about their family and they had a, a parent maybe who was inspecting or, you know, always checking up never quite they were never quite good enough or was that parent was always always negative or, um, or always comparing them to some sort of invisible standard or even to somebody else in the family who they could never quite match up to. Or maybe they felt that their parent was always disappointed or, or, or distant or absent even. They didn't even know their parent or their parents. And what happens is, you know, psychologists are going to go along with this. They're trying to fill a gap in their lives. There's a need for love that's so deep down, everybody's got it. And throughout the rest of our lives we end up going looking for that kind of love and that piece of love that is particularly shaped for our heart that we never quite got filled and so we go looking for it all of our lives and it affects you every single day of your life. It affects every choice, every behaviour in your life is linked to that. So a writer called A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. I wonder what this church as a whole thinks about God when we were to, to picture God. What kind of a God do we think he is? And that's tied to a similar question on an individual level. What do you think God thinks about you? What does God think when he thinks about you? Your answer to those questions is gonna tell me everything that I really need to know about what's going on in your heart, about your, you, how you view yourself, and that's gonna affect how you view other people. It's gonna tell me so much about your purpose in life, your sense of destiny and what's possible. I said before, who feels blessed? Do you know God wants to bless you? Five people so far. It's good out of this. Okay. If you're able to stand, stand up if you believe that God wants to bless you. If you can really say that. Not because the other person next to you is standing up. Some people, maybe you're not there yet. I understand that. You know what? I like that. Please sit down. That looks like... just more or less everybody. Maybe there's a few people I couldn't see, you didn't stand up, you're welcome anyway. But you know, as a church, if we believe as a group of people, our God is the kind of God who doesn't just have to bless us, but wants to and likes to, that's huge in terms of what can be accomplished for him. To know our God, he's a blesser. He's a blesser. He has blessed you. He is blessing you. He wants to bless you more and more in the future. And if you were somebody who stayed sitting down because you're still working out at the moment, imagine what your life would be like if you were the kind of person who believed that God really, really loved to bless you. That you woke up in the morning thinking, God is my dad and he loves me and he wants to bless me today. How would your day... Start differently if that was your first thought. Well, if you read Ephesians, you're going to find out that that is exactly what God says and it's exactly what God wants to happen in your life. He's a blesser and he loves to bless you. He is a holy God. He could have abandoned us. He could have judged us for all of our sins. He could have held them against us. He could have damned us to hell. But Ephesians says instead, he reached out in his love and he's included us. We're going to talk tonight about how he's adopted us into his family about how he's he's restored us. He's paid the price that's necessary for us so that we can belong to him forever. He's done all of that. He chose to do it. And the Bible says in Ephesians, and he was happy to do so. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to do it. It was like, I love doing this. He wants to do that. He chooses us, purifies us, gives us inheritance. He predestines us. He redeems us. He forgives us. He seals us with his spirit. And what's more, he's so, so happy to do so. How would your life go if when you were making plans and thinking about the future, you actually really, not just in your head, but from your heart, like we said before, believed? You know what? I've got God on my side, a God who wants to bless me. Do you know you're blessed? How would you live if you were the kind of person who just, without doubt, knew? Whatever circumstances happen, even when the worst things happen, you know, somehow, God is working and God's gonna bless me. He's gonna bring a blessing. This is a picture of a woman called Hetty Green. She was called America's greatest miser. When she died in 1916, she left an estate valued at over $100 million. But she was so miserly, she ate cold porridge because she said it was too expensive to warm it up. Her son had a severe leg injury But she spent so long trying to find a free clinic for it to be treated in, they ended up having to amputate her son's leg. She died after a furious tantrum about why skimmed milk was better than full fat because it was cheaper. Can you imagine dying with an estate you're worth, it says, $100 million when it was a lot of money back in 1916? Well, actually, you're not living, are you? That's that's not living like that. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was written to Christians like that. What do I mean? What do I mean, Christians like that? Well, it's possible, actually, the Bible would say, to be the kind of Christian who who has all those riches, but never accesses them. To be a person who has an abundance of, of heavenly riches, all wrapped up in Christ, but to wander through life with a poverty mentality, with small faith, with with a scarcity mindset, and end up making minimal impact and minimal difference beyond your own little life, because you never access all that God has got for you in Christ. It's like you're suffering from spiritual malnutrition, malnutrition even though you walk into the middle of a massive feast and it's all yours for free to take whenever you want. The kind of Christian who never really discovers, not for real, for themselves, what it is. The riches of Christ. Some people have called Ephesians the bank of the believer. It's your spiritual checkbook, where every time you write a check, actually what happens is you get more in your account. That's the way faith works, by the way. And I'm talking about something far more and greater than money here because Ephesians talks about true riches. How you can change from an empty life to a full life. It's full, actually, of being filled. That's one of the, the themes of Ephesians. It's all about enjoying your inheritance about what God has done for us, what Jesus has won for us. I want to encourage you, a bit of homework, to read Ephesians chapter 1 and actually chapter 2, if you've got extra credit points, because Ben's going to be speaking about that next week. Read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 this week. It won't take you long. Don't just read it once, read it a few times. Read it every single day maybe and read it in different translations and compare it. And if you're meeting with other people, just discuss it. What are you thinking about Ephesians? Doing this can revolutionise, that's a whole word I was made up. It can revolutionise your life and our church this summer. Because we've got a lot of changes coming up, by the way in our church we're not even gonna I can't even tell you them all because that would be pretty much be the whole of the talk we've got so many changes we've got different staff things that are happening we've got new ministries that are being created all kinds of stuff that's bursting out of here because growing things change do you know that mm, yeah, yeah. growing things change I remember when I first came to Ivy that the summer thing that we did was um when I first got here it was at Ivy Didsbury and it was it was everybody would gather together and it was at Ivy Didsbury well we couldn't really do that now We've grown. I'm glad we've grown. Some of you are here and now you belong to Jesus because we've grown. Because some people were were happy to make room for you. Some people were happy to um, to say, I'll change, I'll go, I'll go somewhere different. We'll do things different because it's more important that you're here than that I'm comfortable in staying the same. It takes an unselfish church to grow, doesn't it? It does. Some churches are too selfish to grow. They wonder why nobody ever comes, why they never grow. But they're too unselfish to grow. They're too selfish to grow because it's all about me. Stop me on that one before I go off. <laughs> Ephesians was written about AD 61, about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion to a group of people around a city called Ephesus. It was on the coastline of the Aegean Sea where Western Turkey is now. I think we may have a map of that somewhere. If you approached, maybe here we haven't, we have. If you approached Ephesus in the first century, you would go to the city gates, first of all, and there you would find a huge temple to the goddess Artemis, also called the Temple of Diana, depending on whether you use the Greek or the Roman name. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It may have been the largest building in the world when it was constructed. Bigger than Old Trafford, 127 60-feet marble pillars around it. The theatre... In Ephesus, which you can still visit, had twenty-five thousand seats. Another main structure was the marketplace called the Agora. The entranceway to this was this triple archway, where you could buy just about anything. I'm going to talk about that tonight, and how you could actually buy slaves there at Ephesus. Ephesus was not just a couple of dusty streets and a place to hang a goat. Don't think of it. Like, think about a massive capital city, one of the four main cities in the empire of Rome. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Ephesians, talking about the Hong Kong of its day, the New York of its day, the London of its day. And it was also a tough seedy urban environment with pirates and prostitutes and pickpockets. And around AD 53, a guy called Paul turns up in that city and he starts just to talk to people. Some people have already heard about Jesus. He comes and he helps them to find out more about him. He talks to anybody who'll listen about the grace of God, how the grace of God has appeared and how this man, Jesus Christ, claimed to be the son of God, proved it by dying on a cross and rising again and said that he did this for our sins so that we could know God's love forever. And people started to follow him and it created riots because some people stopped following Artemis, Diana, and started becoming Christians. And Paul was just this machine for training up more leaders, sending them out all across all those different regions that were on that map before to go and plant even more churches from Ephesus. And then he left after a few years and he left people there with new hearts and old habits. They had new hearts because they were Christians, but they still had old habits. There's so much temptation for them to drift back into the old way of life. So a few years later, Paul writes to Ephesus. It's not just a letter to Ephesus. It's actually one that's like a circular letter meant to be passed on afterwards to all of these other churches. So it applies to us as well. Paul writes to this new group of Jesus followers, a kind of refresher course, if you like, about what is really important for you to know As a Christ follower, it was like the first Alpha course. If you like Ephesians, the idea was, as I say, they would read it in their church, think about it, discuss it, and then that would get passed on to another church, to another church, to another church. And there's a big circle all the way around to Laodicea, the same seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to at the end at at Revelation. There are various ways you can split Ephesians up. If you check out the podcast from last Sunday evening, you'll find I did it one way, looking at six big themes. But what we're going to do now, because we've got weeks to do this, we're going to be splitting it up differently. And I'm just going to read the first few verses today and speak more about it tonight. Let me read it. I, Paul, am writing this letter. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm sending this letter to you, God's holy people. When it says in Ephesus, you could just put blank because actually in the original manuscripts, that's all it says. I'm sending this to you, God's holy people. Blank. Then pass it on. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Christians. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Say grace and peace. peace. That's what Jesus wants to give you. That's what the Father wants to give you. All praise to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Say every every spiritual blessing. In the heavenlies because we belong to Christ. So Ephesians is written to Christians and it's divided into two sections, chapters 1 to 3, it's six chapters, and 4 to 6. Chapters 1 to 3 feel one way, chapters 4 to 6 feel different because the first part is about how we're saved. Say how. How. The second part is the difference it should make now we're saved. Say thank you. And the way God works change is summed up in who Jesus is. Because in John's Gospel, it says this about Jesus. he says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Some people, maybe some churches, are all grace and no truth. You can't change a life like that because nobody's life needs to change. Because everything's acceptable. Nothing is sinful or wrong. If, you, if that's your choice, who am I to talk about it? All grace, no truth. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. Sometimes some people, sometimes some churches are full of truth, but no grace. And you know what that does? It just freezes people out because you've got your list of things that are wrong with me and i'm going to and you're delivering that to me without any love for me and people get surprised when nobody wants to change because i don't want to be like you if that's what this truth does for me the order is important it's grace and truth grace plus truth equals jesus That's how we look like Jesus. What if we did it that way? What if we did it actually in that order? Because grace makes truth doable. Say that. Grace makes truth doable. Jesus makes change possible because grace grace plus truth makes change possible. We're in the summer of change. In chapters four to six, it's truth. Paul is focusing on behaviours. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to Christians. And he says, look, if you're a Christian, let's look at your anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He goes after words and he says, you know, if you're a Christian, make sure let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. He goes after Christians. He doesn't expect non-Christians to live like Christians, by the way. He goes after Christians and he says, you belong to Jesus, so sexual purity matters to him. He talks about marriage. He talks about parenting. He gives practical instruction on all of that. He he attacks dishonesty and laziness. He says, let him who is stealing stop. Get a job instead, do something useful. He goes after lying. He says, each of you should speak the truth to his neighbour. It's all now we are saved. Here's how we should live. But the first part is all how we are saved. Not now we're saved. It's how we're saved. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, basically all Paul does in the first three chapters of Ephesians is say this. Remember who God is. And remember who you are. Remember who God is remember who you are, remember, 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 remember how God has always loved you, how he's always blessed you, how he chose you, how he's interrupted your life with his grace and he's given you his mercy and he wants to just keep on pouring all his blessings upon you. Remember that. Remember how much you're loved. Remember you were once spiritually dead, but he brought you back to life. Remember how you were once alone in the world, but now he's brought you into a family called the church to do life together with. Grace, grace, grace. How does God change us? Grace and truth in that order. What would the church have been like How much more successful do you think we might be in terms of reaching out to people if we did it like Jesus? Because that's how God changes us, grace and truth. Paul, Paul actually really doesn't tell them to do anything for three chapters. He doesn't wag his finger at stealing, gossip, sexual promiscuity or anything. He doesn't start the letter with a list of do's and don'ts or get your act together. No advice about marriage, sexual stuff, family All that truth comes later to those who have believed and received grace. Because grace is what enables you to live the truth. This side, what he talks about, is not what you do, but who you are. Identity. Remember who you are in Christ. In Christ. He says, God is your father. He's blessed you. Remember who you are. Because he knows we behave the way we behave because we think the way we think. One of my favourite stories, a bit of a preacher's story, a very wealthy widower who shared a passion for art, collecting it with his younger son. And together they would travel around the world. They would only pick out the finest art for their collection, priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, all kinds of other paintings adorned the walls of their mansion. The elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an expert too, as they dealt with art collectors around the world. When war broke out, however, the son was conscript, conscripted, and six months later, he went missing in action. Sometime let, later, the father received a telegram with the terrible news that his wounded son had died while carrying another soldier to safety. Months later, there was a knock at the door and the grieving old man opened it to find a soldier with a large package in his hand who said, I was a friend of your son. In fact, he he died saving me, rescuing me. Many of us actually are only alive because of his sacrifice. Can I come in? I've got something I want to give you. And he, and he brought in the package and he opened it up and he said, I'm not much of an artist, but your son always talks about art and it inspired me so much. I've not really painted since I was a kid, but I, I painted this picture of your son. And he looked at it and it wasn't a most amazing work of art, but there was the likeness there that he couldn't deny of his son. And overcome with emotion, the old man smiled for the first time in months and he put that painting up above the fireplace. And he found in the weeks, months and years that went on from that, that to look at that picture and think about his son's heroism and how he would died for other people. That painting became his prized possession and the grief never went away, but it kind of was helped by looking at the picture. And then years later, he himself died. And the art world held its breath and people gathered from all around the world to come to the auction, to be able to get the opportunity to bid on some of the most spectacular paintings ever painted. But the auctioneer began with a painting that was on no museum's list, the painting of the sun. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid and the room was silent. 200 quid, 200 pounds. Who will open with 200 pounds? Nothing. 150. 100 pounds. Nobody. Till somebody from the back shouted out, who cares about that painting? We want the good stuff. Get that one out of the way. Other voices echoed in agreement. No, he said, by the will of the father, We have to sell this one first, said the auctioneer. Who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. I knew the boy. I'll give £10 for the painting. It's all I've got. All right, £10 is bid. Any higher? Going once, going twice. It's yours. Great, said the the people who were gathered. That means we all get to bid on the rest of the, the, the stuff. Fantastic. Let's get on with it now. We've got rid of that one. But the auctioneer astonished them all by saying to the audience, the auction is now over. What do you mean over? He said, they've got all these paintings here, millions of pounds worth of art. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Whoever takes the Son gets it all. That's the will of the Father. God is offering us everything heaven has got. Every blessing All of heaven's riches are in the book of Ephesians. The word inheritance is used four times. The word riches is used five times. The word fullness is used seven times. The word glory is used eight times. The word grace is used 12 times. And how do we get access to all those blessings? By the will of the Father, the one who gets the Son gets it all. Anybody else excited about that? I'm going to say it again. Sorry, somebody might sound excited about it because I think it's amazing. Maybe I've had more time to think about this than you, but I don't care. Listen, By the will of the Father, the one who gets the Son, gets everything. We've got access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. The key to everything is in Christ. The phrase in Christ is used 27 times in Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's the key that opens the door. That's the signature on the checkbook of faith. If you don't become a Christ follower, you don't get that. That's why I appeal to you today. If, you, if you're still wondering about why your life doesn't feel blessed and all that kind of stuff, and you, don't, you feel that you know, God's far away and you haven't got access to all those riches, in Christ, he's the key. If you become a Christ follower, do you get it that when you're in Christ, you get access to all those blessings? They're available to you too. He's got everything you need. If you haven't done that yet, then at the end, come and we'll pray for you down in the front. here, will give you a book that I've written, help you to know what it is. Basically, when we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. I want the Father's blessing upon my life. I want my life to be in Christ. So the first three weeks, basically, that's all he's going to do. is going to talk about how we're saved, how you get the blessings in Christ. And then we're going to go on for three weeks to the difference it can make now so that you can live the kind of life that is not like Hetty Green, That has access to all those riches but never spends them. God the Father wants you to have the Son to really have Him, because when you have Him and when you really have Him and you know that He has you, you have got everything that you need. You've got what it takes. If you take what He gives, you get to have it all. Every blessing, every blessing. That's why it's going to be a summer of change. Just look again at the first two verses. I'm just going to give you a very, I gave you a very quick overview of the book. There, it's how and now. I just want to pick up on the first two verses because you can see what I mean straight off. I'll expand on this tonight and we've got a really cool video as well we'll show tonight. I hope you did. It'd be great if you could be there. I told you this book was all about riches, inheritance, fullness, and having abundance in the church and in Christ. That's exactly what you find in the first two verses because Paul, who's writing these letters, says he's an apostle. How? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. How? By the will of God. God wanted it. God made it happen. You'd think it would be enough to say Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but actually he had it on by the will of God. God wanted it to happen. He said, God wanted to save me, so he did. God wanted to love me, so he did. God chose me. Now, he, Paul knew exactly what it was like not to be Paul, but to live an old life and to be Saul, to be kicking against God, to be trying to imprison people who even said that they wanted to follow Jesus Christ. He was a vicious, violent, self-righteous, secret policeman who was going around trying to round up Jesus followers who he just saw as a threat to everything that was good and holy. He would come to town, breathing threats, arresting people, involved in helping them to be judged, imprisoned and some of them killed. But then the will of God kicked into his life and everything changed on the road to Damascus when when Saul, as he was, ended up becoming Paul. That new identity, he even changed his name. So he took the S off the front of his name and he said, I'll have a P please, God. <laughs> Old blockbusters joke may not work for some young people here. <laughs> How does change happen? How do you live the blessed life and what does the blessed life involve? We're going to find out in the weeks ahead and I'll ask you to respond by praying with me in a few minutes time. Number Verse two, look at verse two. Grace to you and peace. Greeks those days used to just say hello to one another by saying grace to you, grace to you. Just a greeting, grace to you. And often Christians have talked about grace and they've just said grace is the unmerited favour of God. Who's heard that? It's the unmerited favour of God. Well, we don't deserve it, but God gives it us. That's what grace is. Actually, when you look at what, how Paul uses the word grace in lots of his letters, it's far bigger than that. It's far, it's far more than that. It can't be the unmerited favour of God anyway because Jesus... He says, grew in, He had grace and he grew in grace. How do you grow in unmerited favour and how can Jesus not merit favour? Anyway, the way Paul talks about grace, I heard it defined like this years ago and I've never ever forgot it. Grace is the empowering presence of God enabling me to be everything God called me to be and to do everything God calls me to do. Who needs grace today? Stand up if you need grace. Look at that. Say it with me. Because this is what, this is just one thing. We've got so much in Ephesians, but I want you to get grace today. To invite that into your heart. Grace, when you get grace, you get peace. The two are tied together. Because you don't have to make anything happen now. You can just trust. Grace, I want you say it, is the empowering presence of God. Enabling me to be everything God called me to be and to do everything calls me to do when you get grace you get peace grace you see the way Paul describes it is it's like this particular shaped stuff you need for your life and for the challenges that you're facing right now and it's going to be different to the person sitting next to you somebody needs grace to be married to that particular person somebody I don't need that but they need it somebody needs grace for that diagnosis that they just received somebody needs grace for that next uh, opportunity that's opened up in their lives that new job they need grace for that and God has got what it takes. When you feel like you haven't got what it takes, God has got what it takes, but you have to take it. So don't think I haven't got what it takes. Take it. Ask him for it. Ask him for the grace to go through what you're going through. You know, you hear about people being martyred and and all of that. You're like, I don't know how I could do that. Well, I don't need the grace for that now. But I would trust that whatever it is that God sends my way, he's got the grace that I need to be able to go through that. Grace isn't God giving you what you deserve, what you don't deserve. Grace is God giving you what it takes. Whatever it takes. And you put your hand on your heart and just ask for grace. The thing that you you can't do, the situation you can't face, the problem too big, the challenge too huge, the opportunity too massive. The picture he's given you of the future that's so huge that's it's scary to you. The vision that you started to implant into you into your life, whatever it is that holds you back from that, instead of fear, let grace replace that and receive His peace right now. May you know His grace. Take what He gives you in Christ. You probably can't move around very much, but you know, just as you stand there. I'm kind of standing here. I'm sort of stamping my feet and I'm, I'm standing in a place and I'm saying, I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. Put your arms out like on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for us. I'm stepping into that. I'm in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ, I've got everything that I need and that's how I get my peace. He who gets the Son by the will of the Father, he who gets the Son gets everything else.